slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. Special cheerio to Peter and Rob who can't be there. Anyway, this show is a very special broadcast. It's dedicated to all deaths in custody and Black Lives Matter. It's um, dedicated to Aboriginal people who have died in custody in Australia and to deaths in custody all over the world. Specifically today, we will be speaking first up with Mariki Onis from the Warriors of Aboriginal Resistance and she and a couple of other people from the organisation, they actually organised a rally here in Victoria and it's about an issue that is terribly important to Australia. When the footage emerged of the murder of George Floyd and he was actually murdered by four Minneapolis police officers, he desperately pleaded, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, and he was, he was crying out for his mother. And basically there are other echoes of other people that have died in custody, which we will be honouring today. So this particular rally has been called in honour of George Floyd and also in honour of um, deaths in custody. And indeed there were rallies all over Australia as well and 3CR doing time show will be bringing you coverage of this particular rally today and coverage of other rallies um, in the coming weeks. After we speak with Mariki we'll also also be speaking with Auntie Janelle and she will be speaking to us about the massacre of Mile Creek in New South Wales And we can't ignore this. There have been massacres of Aboriginal people all over Australia and we do need to expose that genocidal genocidal policy and fatality. It's approximately 4.03 and we're going to be speaking with Mariki first up very soon. Councils around the country will put on (laughs) Disability Day events and... Quite a few of them will not include people of colour, First Nations people and black people. So I think it's pretty cool Mm -hmm. that everyone you'll hear on air today will be a person of colour and the majority of them will be people with disabilities as well. I think when we were preparing for this show and for this day, we wanted to talk about how we could explain 
the concept of power from the margins and why it is that we've chosen to focus on black people, indigenous people and people of color. And I think, you know, in one word, it's intersectionality. It's the fact that people experience forms of oppression, different forms of oppression at the same time. And most people don't realize that you can't have racial justice without disability justice and vice versa. your station in struggle and solidarity. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. Oh, hello, sorry. Uh, welcome to the Doing Time show again. And is Mariki, how are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you, Marissa? Yeah, good, considering with this pandemic in progress and with all the, the negative media coverage that's been happening, um, with with the, not only the, the deaths in custody, but also in terms of the increased police powers. Can you talk to us about the what's been happening with the Victorian rally and why did you call it? Um, so initially we called the rally in response to, um, George Floyd's death, um, in the US in Minneapolis and what we saw was going on and, and then it was kind of like a domino effect. There were demonstrations that happened in Paris, New Zealand, Perth, um, and we wanted to have a Black Lives Matter demonstration here, but also, so like in solidarity with, um, African-American people that are getting killed in the U.S., but also a particular um, George Floyd, but also um, to raise the issue here and link the two issues of deaths in custody here. Absolutely crucial. Yeah, yeah. So it happens. So who were you thinking of? I mean, for example, um, you know, we've got David Dungay, that um, that he, he couldn't breathe either, could he? No, so there were very similar, um, like the David Dungai um, case is extremely similar to what happened to um, George Floyd and that struck a chord with a lot of Aboriginal and Torres Strait people here and also more broadly um, the African community, have, um, you know, heard from the African community about the yeah. extreme racism they experience here um, and, you know, and I think it's an issue that black people experience all around the world but... Um, yeah, I think that it's a particular kind of anti-blackness that we experience. Um, so, yeah, what was the question again? I forgot. No, that's okay. It, it's it's really just about having a, an informal discussion, Mariki, and and really what I, what I wanted you to, to just concentrate on was just to talk about the honouring, like the rally really was honouring people like Auntie Tanya Day, Ray Thomas Jr., yeah. Joyce Clark, yeah. Miss Dew. Mr. Yeah. Walker, so, the, the list goes on, doesn't it? Yeah, so we wanted to um, platform the voices of the families who'd lost people in custody, who lost family yeah. in custody, so that's who primarily spoke, but we had some, like, respected uh, community members. We had community members that experienced um, police brutality themselves, um, long-time activists, like Uncle Robbie. We had um, the Wurundjeri people do a really beautiful opening and a smoking ceremony, so that was really yes, special. Was. Yeah. Um, and we, yeah, I think my estimation is that we had 250,000. 
Well, some are saying less, some are saying more, but that to me, that you know, that's probably the most accurate from my perspective. Um, but firstly, I just wanted to acknowledge too that um, often when we're talking about death in custody, that um, trans women don't often get um, spoken about or trans women's experience and black trans people. So, um, you know, there was um, there was a huge rally today in the US for Rhea Milton from Ohio and Dominique Remy Fowles from Philadelphia. And um, I think that's a really important to talk about how intersectionality works within the Black Lives Matter and the Black, Black Death in Custody movement as well. That's very true, and and also, um, and what you what you've said is is really important. We do need to acknowledge that, and and also Veronica Baxter in Australia as well. That's she right. Was a, yes, Veronica a Baxter, a transgender woman that you know that was just despicable. What happened in in prison where they wouldn't give her a hormone medication, and she died in custody. She was killed in a men's prison. Yeah, sadly. men's prison. It's it's Awful. really. Really yeah, quite great. So, yeah, I just wanted to say that um, I think that, you know, we need to do better in that space. And um, as a society and when we're talking about this, there is a particular violence that trans women experience and women as well, you know, um, Breonna, Breonna, Breonna Taylor in the US um, and, you know, Miss Jew here. And so I think it's really important to continue to educate ourselves on these issues and, um, you know, raise the issue of the experience of trans community and women as well. You know, it's, it's, it's really important, isn't it? And in regards to the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody, it seems to me that in all these deaths that you've talked about, the recommendation... Well, this is... Well, obviously, this is not, not applicable to America, um, but it is in a way that, you know, you've got Recommendation 87 which is arrest people only when there is no other way of dealing with the problem. Obviously, that's not happening here in Australia. Um, and, you know, and, and obviously with George Floyd, he was murdered in cold blood there in America, isn't it? Yeah. I think the issue is, and, you know, I think the the, Black, the Royal Commission to Black Death and Custody, that's, like, that's great for, like, a sounding board. And it, there was, like, a lot of research and a lot of work done and, um, you know, that can be used to criticise the inaction from the government. But I actually think that we should, um, you know, go beyond the the reformist perspective and, you know, even, you know, I think that we need to talk about it from an abolitionist perspective. Um, and, you know, I know a lot of really good work went into the Royal Commission to Aboriginal Death in Custody, but the reality is that it's centred around reform and, if a police officer has that um, that discretion to say only when necessary, how do you measure that? Exactly. Um, talk to me about abolition. Power, yeah, talk to me well, about abolition, Ricky. I'm, yeah. I'm I'm learning myself, um, but um, mm. you know it's it's really comforting and encouraging to see in the US that they're calling to defund the police. Yes, um, yep. And that you know that's really taken off, and and you know. Um, Angela Davis has been really well outspoken about that and a lot of our mob here um, fighting for sovereignty have, you know, really centred the abolition of systems of oppression and I think that's where we have to focus our um, 
focus our energy is that it's a systemic issue. It's not like an individual decisions of a police officer and it's not about a few bad apples. It talks about the system and how it presents as racism in itself and how that police are incapable of um, not being... Like, it's impossible for a police force not to be racist because of the way that they are formed um, in many different countries. So, um, you know, our perspective is, is that you can't reform the police. It's that the best way forward is to defund the police. Um, well, you know what? That's actually very true. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I hope we can all do that. In, in fact, they did do it in Seattle. I don't know whether you saw the news coverage there. Yeah, they passed them. Look, I'm not an expert and I'm not completely across that, but they seem to pass in, our, in their city council that they wanted to defund the police. That's right. And that yeah. they can't reverse that. So that's going to be really interesting to see how that comes out, what comes out of that Um and, you know, I hope that doesn't mean um, replacing them with another softer type of police force, um, which, you know, isn't, in fact, still policing people. Um, so I think, you know, it's not just about defunding the police. They've got to divest from the police and invest in community like housing. Oh, sorry, of, you got cut off there. Yeah. No, that's, that's like fantastic. divest from the police and invest into the housing and... and, and uh, you know, invest into destroying and eradicating poverty and homelessness, you know, so it can't just be defund the police. It's about no, 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 whole, you're quite right. Yep. shifting the whole structure away from punishing people um, to, you know, there's got to be transformation into care. Absolutely. But while that's happening, we do need to try and, and, and get, them, get the police to see that they are, in fact, breaking the law and, and we need to get civilian review boards um, up as well to make police accountable. But, you know, um, Mariki, the, the, the abolition perspective is, is really crucial, I think, um, to, to the movement. It's, it's really important. I Mariki, think, and I, you know, I yeah. saw... Yeah, go on. I saw something, you know, online that uh, Angela Davis said and she's probably, you know internationally a really prominent voice on this so that she's oh, I've lost my train of thought now she um, it, it was about when you do when it's when you reform the system you're just reinforcing the system's power and therefore reinforcing racism so absolutely you know I actually heard her speak in California um, quite some years ago now and she was quite electric she's got quite a lot to say you should try and read some of her, her books. They're pretty good. Yeah, so, yeah no, it's pretty cool. So, Mariki, also, just quickly, I, I just wanted to talk about the some of the, the, the increased police powers that are happening with the pandemic, t pandemic and how the organisers were getting the blame and getting fined for, for ridiculous things when really... And uh, it, it was it was quite difficult to to social distance in a protest like that. And you you've got to really look at the fact that Aboriginal deaths in custody are, are, are really important. Can you comment on that? Yeah, I just think it's really gaslighting and unfair to to say that um, the issue of Black Lives Matter and Black deaths in custody isn't as important or is somewhat less oh. of an issue. Um, and you know the narrative that I've seen around it has been extreme. Um, and I think it just 
really exposes how racist the Australian government really are in how they use the pandemic to um, silence us and to perpetuate further system racism against our bodies and our people um, and our right to protest. I think, I mean... It's offensive. You know, I've spoken to countless medical professionals who were quite impressed in how we um, we ran the rally. It was safe. Um, That's right. We're not out of the woodworks yet. You know, we're not... It's about reducing risk. It wasn't about eliminating the risk. So people have to keep that in mind. But we did everything that we could to eliminate as much risk as we could. And we followed the advice based on choosing to protest um, and very carefully. And we've had extreme support from many different um, from many different medical professionals to say that it was done quite well, but also that racism is a major health issue in Australia and that if racism was um, treated like the pandemic, we wouldn't have to be here and do this. That's you right. You know, if it was considered as important... Yes. Oh, yes. I'm very disappointed. We were fined. I was fined $1,652. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's I mean, to me, I think that's... And, I, and you know, I have to say a, a special thanks to the age because I actually truly believe because of the age reporting that um, we were encouraging protesters to spit on the police that the, the government backflipped on their decision yeah. not to fine us. Um, and that's just how racism in the media complements systemic racism that we experience. It's just a perfect uh, formula for, you know, how they um, how they interact with each other. And I'm extremely disappointed in how this was all set up. But it's not the first time. And it's, no, not, it's not the not worst the first kind time. of system racism. So... You know, our mob die at the hands of racist policing, and this is the issue. This is what we're talking about. Correct. Correct. And, in fact, the Victorian Charter of Human Rights and Responsibilities Act provides that every person has the right of peaceful assembly. That's it. That's right. Keep up the good work, Mariki. And I think what's what I want to say very clearly on air, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Mariki, but... Protesters do not have to be blamed for, for a second wave of pandemic because Absolutely really not. that's it's not about that. No. It's, it's very bad media coverage to, to talk about, to say that. It's extraordinary. It is indeed. Thanks, so, Marissa. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye. 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 You're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. 3CR is your station in solidarity and struggle. We've been with you since 1976 and we are here to stay. Throughout June, we're running a station appeal. We need the financial support of our listeners to stay independent, community-owned and radical. Jump online and give what you can. Go to 3cr.org.au. And you're back with the Doing Time show. And we're going to be speaking now with Auntie Janelle about the not only the Mile Creek Massacre and what's happened there, but also we're going to be speaking about Native Title and the story um, 
about her her land. And before we we actually speak with her um, and and welcome her to the program, I just wanted to give a little a very brief introduction. So early in the morning of 18th December 1838, seven men were publicly hanged at the Sydney jail, and they were the first British subjects to be executed for massacring Aboriginal people. And the Myrtle Creek Massacre was neither the first nor last massacre of Aboriginal people in Australia, but the New South Wales Supreme Court trials that followed set a judicial precedent. And attitudes towards such massacres took longer to change. And that's from the National Museum of of Australia. Hello, Auntie Janelle. Welcome to the program. Hello. How are you? It's lovely to have you. Good, thanks. Yeah, so, Janelle, you're a committee member and friend of Mile Creek, aren't you? Yes, I am. That's lovely. Can you tell us what what land you're from and and also talk about some of the work that that you've been doing um, and what you think about what's happened with Mile Creek? Um, Okay, I identify with two, Biripai on my father's side and Dungadi on my mother's side. Um, Mile Creek is uh, in Anawan country uh, under the uh, native title. Yep. and uh, Myle Creek is a memorial um, that... Try to speak up a little bit, Janelle, uh, Janelle sorry. Go on. Yep. Oh, sorry, girl. Um, there we are. Yep. Myle Creek Thank is um, a memorial to uh, the Aboriginal people who died uh, from the massacre and also um, it's a reconciliation project because um, people from all sides, uh, perpetrators... Um, and uh, people who helped the Aboriginal people um, all came together and um, developed this uh, memorial to um, move forward together on and and hopefully uh, so we can recognise that this never happens again, although we know that it happened all over Australia. It really did, didn't it? And and those massacres are often never really acknowledged, are they? Um, I think one of the negative aspects that came out of the Myall Creek um, when they did um, come into the justice system was that it just made uh, massacres go more undercover. So um, people realised that they could be prosecuted and hung for it um, so that then it was just kept um, out of mainstream. So um, a lot of them weren't weren't talked about or um, discussed um, openly. Would you say that the the massacres were linked with the settler expansion of land? I can't think of any other reason. Yeah, I think it's true, isn't it, that, you know, this is all about land grab, isn't it? And it's it's all about genocide and, and taking over, you know, taking over Aboriginal people. It, it's, Aboriginal people have been displaced and dispersed since colonisation. Um, yeah. And, and uh, the impact on it has nearly, um, has nearly wiped everybody out, but... I think Aboriginal people have shown uh, a strength and resilience in um, still being here today and still being able to um, 
stand up and, and speak for Aboriginal people um, against these atrocities that we have in, like, the Black Lives Matter um, program that you were just talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So it, I believe that there were going to be some performers and events happening and it couldn't happen because of the pandemic this year. Yes, every year we have... Um, we have our Memorial Day um, and the long weekend in, in June. And um, this year, because of the restrictions from COVID, we were unable to have it um, there. There were some people who did go out to the site, but we um, we developed an online um, memorial so that people could um, <coughs> still, still join us on our special day, but... Um, with respect to the COVID restrictions, we had to we had very little choice. Yeah, no, it was um, it's it's very difficult, isn't it? So, can people access that online online audio? Um, yes, they can. Um, myall.org. Um, yeah, I think you'll find it at myall myallcreek.org. It's so good to have you on the program, Aunty Janelle. And I'm wondering if you could then just talk a little bit about... Um, I think you were mentioning when we were talking off air the, um, last week about um, your land and, and some things that happened there with, with native title. Uh, the, the point I was alluding to um, yes. uh, when I was discussing that with you is um, native title's been hard enough to, to get... Um, in the best of circumstances. Um, but there's a whole group of people who have been displaced um, that uh, have grown up on country that is not necessarily theirs and seem to be missing out on um, any of these connections back to with native titles. So um, I just really hope that Aboriginal people don't forget um, the people that have been displaced and dislodged from their culture and their country, and and remember that um, it was no fault of theirs that they're in that position. They had no choice but to to end up where they were. So um, that's one of that's one of the things that I find uh, we sometimes forget. Yep. Yep. Tell me what what the worst thing about it is. What native title? Yeah, um, that they don't give it back to us um, is probably the worst thing. Cause um, t tell me about like with this native title, what what does that actually mean? Because a, a lot of a lot of Aboriginal people that I've spoken to don't really believe in it. What does it well, mean? It's about um, traditional owners and their connection to the land and being able to. Uh, prove a certain set of criteria that satisfies the government's uh, process um, so that they can apply to be recognised as the traditional owners of that area. Um, along with that come, you know, custodial rights and, and various other aspects. But uh, basically it's about um, traditional owners being able to um, claim in this government system... Um, Ownership of their land recognised by the um, by the Australian government, and that's connected with Mabo. 
Very much so. Um, Mabo um, was an exceptional person who did a wonderful job and uh, tested those laws. But um, the once that case had been true, then the government came through and changed certain aspects of native title, so it made it a lot more difficult for um, others to claim. There have been many successful claims, but there have been many that haven't been successful, and there's many that are still waiting to um, be addressed. Actually, I think the anniversary of Mabo was in June, was it the 3rd of June? Yes, it was. And then the Mile Creek one was is also is the 8th of June, isn't it, the anniversary? Um, I think it was the 8th this year, yes. Yeah. So there's so much going on, isn't it? And, and, and I think that all these murders and massacres that, that have been committed, would you say that having a map is important of where all these massacres took place? <clears throat> Look, I think they're important in the sense that they can be an educational tool to um, help people um, understand uh, how many there were, where they were, um, you know, what happened there, um, and those sort of things. But um, uh, really, we need we really need um, national recognition of that from the government to um, before it'll make any sense to anyone. I think. Absolutely. It's, it's, and is that really going to happen? I mean, you, you know, it seems to me that, and that the federal government doesn't seem to really recognise that slavery existed in Australia. Mm, I'd like them to explain that to me, to my poor old mum who is indentured to a farm. Tell us about that. Of Armadale. So, um, you know, she had no choice but to be there or be in a home. Um, so if that's not slavery, where you don't have a choice to go and come as you please, where you uh, can't collect your wages, where um, you're, you're basically at the beck and call of uh, the people of the homestead, um, then I don't understand what, um, what, what they think slavery is. And then we had the, the um, Pacific you know, the South Pacific Islanders that are in the cane fields, and uh, they were one of the many things. And I just wonder what people think about things when they see uh, pictures of Aboriginal people with chains around their neck and and the newspaper clippings talking about how um, Aboriginal people had to have chains on their necks so that they could uh, wouldn't run away. They couldn't put them on their legs and their hands because then they wouldn't work. Um, but if that's not slavery, um, then I don't know. I must be really basic and, and have no concept of it. Yeah, look, it, it simply isn't, isn't acknowledged, is it? No, it's simply not. There's a whole... I think one of the key things that um, Australia needs to do is actually go through and have a look at what the actual history was and recognise it for what it was, not have this glossed over, uh, you know, fluffy, lovely idea that it, it was all peaceful and that we, we didn't um, we didn't agree. Um, I just think it's just people need to get the facts 
and have the have the true history told, and then um, we can sort of start to have a discussion then about uh, what way we move forward from that. But until they do that truth telling, there is absolutely uh, a lot of people who are very unaware of what the actual history is. But people don't know. People don't know. You I know, know they don't know. I I run cultural competency courses, and the 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 comment I hear most after every course is, "I didn't know that." Um, and and people are actually stunned that this is happening within my lifetime. Um, so. Um, you know, I think I think that's why we need to have this truth telling. That's why people need to be educated as into uh, what happened, how it happened, what were the what were the impacts and implications of that, and and how that uh, contributed to Aboriginal people being in uh, the dire situations they are now. Absolutely, and and in in fact. A lot of solutions that we need to see here is 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 to have a treaty. Mm. I'm still. But does not, that really um, work? Though does made that really my mind work? Up on whether it's treaty or constitution, there's a lot of legal aspects about that. But in saying that, um, <clears throat> a treaty is what separates one of the things that separates us from other indigenous peoples in the world. Um, they had a treaty. We didn't. Um, but they had, uh, we were claimed under terra nullius and, and they weren't. Um, and I suppose the reason for that was they didn't recognise our farming practices. Uh, we didn't have one people or speak all the one language um, so that they only had to deal with sort of one, uh, one sort of hierarchy or one group of people. So there were, there were a lot of differences, but a treaty would make... Uh, would have made it a lot easier for us if we had had one. Absolutely. Now, Auntie, Auntie, with the farming practices, that's a really, that's a really good one because that that certainly isn't looked at properly, is it? And that and that could have stopped all the bushfires too. Uh, look, um, Aboriginal people have been managing country for many years, and um, their practices. Uh, have proven over all that time to be effective and um, I just think that maybe, um, you know, we've had that many chops and changes to the to the laws and rules about burning country and clearing country and doing all sorts of things. Um, if they would step back and have a look at how Aboriginal people actually performed those acts, then they could, they could see that... Um, it'd be a much better outcome and it'd be a lot safer for a lot of our wildlife, our people, our communities um, and just people's health in general with all the smoke that was around. Absolutely. So do you know much about the history with, of what happened to your mum? Oh, I know a lot about the history that happened to my mum. Um, my mum uh, was... Uh, a young girl in Armidale, New South Wales, and um, her mother was Aboriginal and her father uh, was non-Aboriginal. Um, her father had uh, been attacked outside a um, 
a, a local establishment and um, had died. Um, there were some uh, stories as to uh, why he got attacked and uh, the most common cause was because he had an Aboriginal wife. Um, I don't think people realise, but in those days, uh, often if you had an Aboriginal wife, you had to go and spend every Sunday in the jail um, for that privilege. Um, <clears throat> and my mum, um, her mother had rheumatic fever. So um, when she died of rheumatic fever, my mum was left um, with her, her brother, who um, was my dear uncle, Bruce, and uh, he was 18. He tried to um, look after the younger siblings, and I think there was five or six of them, and my uncle Malcolm was a tiny little baby. Um, the the welfare of the day came in and said that they didn't think he was capable of, of looking after the children, so they removed them and put them in a home in, um, in Sydney. Um, my uncle Malcolm, somehow uh, they got a message to uh, family in Walker and uh, they passed my Uncle Malcolm out the window to family and uh, he didn't end up going to the homes. He went back to um, to Armadale, to Uncle right. Bruce, and Uncle Bruce raised him. So Mum was in the home and she used to tell me um, that she used to um, look after the younger kids so she could look after her little brothers uh, that were in there. Um, and... Then she ran away when she was 16 um, <clears throat> and if you knew my mum, she was such a, um, a, a lovely, sweet person and very, very thoughtful and um, very clever. She ran away, um, she hurt her ankle jumping over the fence and she was trying to get out to La Perouse to get to family to um, get back to Armadale and she ended up at Hyde Park at night time and she told me the story of how she started off very low on the branch at the beginning of the night and ended up right up the top at the end of the night because Hyde Park was uh, very interesting, say, in those days. Um, yes. And then she um, she came back to Armadale. They, they let her come back to Armadale. She was indentured to a farm for a couple of years and then um, she left there and then she um, married my dad. Right. and went on to have a family of her own. Those brothers of hers, um, we managed to get a reunion together of them, and I think it was like uh, over 30 years later since they'd last met. Um, my poor Uncle Bruce was shaking on that day because the the only time he'd seen his younger siblings was when he was when they just got out of the home, and they didn't understand that. Uh, he had no choice and they felt very um, angry that he didn't um, keep them. Um, but uh, over the years they developed a relationship and we managed to get them all together um, at a reunion, which was one of the loveliest things I, I think I've seen. Um, and it was... Sadly, my mum wasn't there. My mum had passed away by then, but... Um, we always saw our Uncle Bruce in Armadale and uh, we had very close connections. All Mum's other brothers all called in on our home and um, and that over the years. So 
uh, while Mum may have had connections, Uncle Bruce, uh, it took a long time for them to heal. So as, as a child, you, you definitely are a child of the stolen generation? Uh, yes, and my brother was as well. Uh, yeah. He was... Um, my mother was um, had just had a child and had an abscess on her breast. Um, my father was away working. Uh, there were no telephones or mobile phones in those days. Um, because Mum went to hospital, welfare came and took my uh, two older sisters and brother to a home in Armidale. Um, when, when Dad came back and Mum and Dad went to pick them up from the home, it was um, in no uncertain terms um, stated to them that um, someone had really wanted a little Aboriginal boy to um, to raise. And when Mum and Dad objected, they were under the threat of, well, you have two other children there, do you want them or uh, to go as well? So they weren't left with much choice and... My brother Dave grew up in Narrabri, um, and he uh, grew up where there was a lot of racism. Um, I remember him saying to me once um, that um, uh, he asked why he couldn't go to the pool, and the lady that uh, raised him said, um, oh, you silly little bastard, uh, look at the colour of your skin. Of course you can't go in there. Um my brother was forever damaged over that, and and um, while he was very intelligent and had a degree in accountancy and things, he um, he became a chronic alcoholic, and he spent basically his whole life um, testing Centrelink out and how they could make payments to him because he thought someone had to pay for why he was um, taken away and not allowed to grow up. We used to send my brother on school holidays sometimes. Um, That's outrageous. Uh, and um, yeah, and this is this is in my lifetime. This is just what year was he taken, Archie? Um, well, uh, now my sister was born in. Um, I think she was born in fifty-seven. So I think in fifty-seven. So the, the, these genocidal policies were still happening. Well. I came under the Flora and Fauna Act until I was, uh, until 1967, so... Um, Absolutely. Yeah, you know, people, that's what I mean about truth-telling. People think it happened 200 years ago. That's right. And you should just get over it and move on, but um, I don't think they understand the true history of what happened, and I don't think they understand the true impact of how that uh, was for Aboriginal people. That's precisely why I asked the question because I really wanted listeners to understand that that it's happening now. It's not just about about the past. It's not just about colonial history from the past. It's it, it's still happening. There are more children removed today than ever was in the stolen generation, Mike. It's it's systematic. Uh, we have our young Aboriginal women now outstripping. Our Aboriginal men in incarceration rates. Um, <clears throat> yep. the, um, you know, there's so many other areas that that I could give you stats where it's just not getting any better. It's supposed to be closing the gap, and 
um, really they're only just making uh, small increments in, in a very few areas. And um, if they were serious about it, they would take a lot bigger look and put a lot more resources into that space. And there do need to be resources. You know, we need to have community control, not prisons. Yes, I think I think that that's exactly what we should have. But with community control, they they expect communities to uh, run huge businesses and that without the resources, without the education, without the support, um, exactly. and then turn around and and condemn us when things collapse because people. Uh, not all communities have the skill set necessarily to be able to do these things. Um, there's a lot of young Aboriginal people out there that have uh, have those skills and they're up and coming and, and I'm very proud to say they're doing a great job. But, um, it's uh, you know, it's OK to say, oh, yes, we should just give it to community control. But you need to support that act with, you know, exactly. resources, education and support for people who run these organisations to be able to assist them, you know, plan for the future, plan for succession training, plan for uh, employment, plan for growth, plan for all the other things, training and that that can come with those um, programs. Yeah, and a recommendation I think that would be applicable here is, is to have not so much government funding but to have independent co-ops, you know, that that Aboriginal people can run themselves and so that money can pour out of that into their communities? Um, that's an interesting idea. I hadn't really thought of it like that. But, um, you know, like, there are, there are, I'm sure there are a lot of other better solutions than what they've come up with. Absolutely. And, and actually, I think the Native Americans um, over in, in the US have, you know, they do their... They do their casinos, do you know what I mean? I know that's not good in a way, I mean, gambling, but, you know, they, and it's not just the casinos, they have all the other, other programs and they actually use that money, you know, to, to fund their communities. You know, I don't know much about it, but it's just something to think about, isn't it, to have that independence, that independent co-op stuff happening. Well, it'd be something to think about, um... We have the Community Controlled Health Services. And, True. Um, they do a wonderful job for Aboriginal people. Yes, um, indeed. That's a good example of something that has worked very well. Um, <laughs> I think if we oh, had, yeah. if we had the same, um, you know, like they've taken a lot of money out of Aboriginal health, but um, absolutely too if much. If we could have more, uh, more access to. To funding to be able to finance some of the um, the organisations and some of the services that we need, um, I think they would find uh, Aboriginal people would be much more engaging um, instead of just being cold or uh, read That's right. or assessed or whatever else they do to us, surveyors. Um, you know. That's exactly right. It's been great having you, Auntie Janelle, and it's it's good that we've been able to talk about Mile Creek, but also talk about your story and and also some solutions as well. And keep up the good work. Uh, we're eternal optimists. I don't know why, but yes. Yeah. I know. I think myself. I think about myself the same way sometimes. You take care, and I hope we can have you back soon. Yeah, 
Okay, thank you. Bye. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. The media in this country, we as Indigenous people know, have censored our right of telling the truth, and the truth is what this country is most fearful of, in particular Indigenous truths. Until history is told by the vanquished lens, which is our people telling our story our way, and have the right to be able to incorporate that into a system of learning, well, people are always going to be denied that truth by deceit and lies. When you look at the type of psychological warfare and spiritual warfare that Aboriginal people are caught in, it's not just in the sense of military when they talk about weapons of mass destruction, but you're right, it's in terms of the media and the industry of media as a warfare against our people, and so is religion, I believe, in the Western sense. They're, they're all weapons of mass destruction against our, our people. 3CR, your station in struggle and solidarity. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. Fitzroy Legal Service has launched a free information and advice phone service for people who have been stopped, questioned, fined or charged for breaching the new COVID-19 restrictions. Have you been fined or charged under the new laws or stopped and questioned by police for being outside? Call 0434 136 501. Weekdays between 9am and 5pm. That's 0434 136 501. Or head to fitzroy-legal.org.au for more information. You can also report incidents at covidpolicing.org.au. Fitzroy Legal Service is a 3CR supporter. And you're back with the Doing Time show and it's time to wrap up just about. It's approximately 4.49 and I wanted to especially thank... Mariki and Auntie Janelle for coming onto the show today to highlight the Mile Creek Massacre. Um, Auntie Janelle highlighted the Mile Creek Massacre and talked about her personal story and, in, in, in fact, also in terms of the Stolen Generation and, in particular, speaking about her mother's experience and also her brother's experience at the hands of the, of the, of the government of the time. And I think one of the things that came out of that was that things are happening now. And, of course, we, we spoke to Mariki as well about the protest in solidarity with George Floyd and talked a little bit about the, what, the, the outrageous media coverage that happened as a result of that, trying to blame the protests for the, pan, for the um, pandemic or the second wave. And as um, Mariki said in her... In, in her introduction, you know, roughly, we're, yeah, we're supposed to be in this together, but are we really? <laughs> yeah, it was very interesting. Anyway, just wanted to to say that in the next couple of shows, we will be providing more coverage in regards to the protests that have happened all over Australia and talking a little bit about the, the American experience as well. Just wanted to talk about the appeal quickly. And there is a station appeal happening throughout the month of June, and it's incredible to reflect on the extraordinary amount of change that's occurred since the, on, since the onset of COVID-19. 
We've seen whole communities in lockdown, the decimation of the world economy, huge levels of unemployment, significant breaches of democratic practice and unprecedented pressure put on the capitalist system. For nearly 45 years, 3CR has fought for change through our program content. We advocate and educate for social and political justice. And through our organisational model, we represent how radical independent media can give power to communities. It's clear that things will change, but history tells us the change is determined by political struggle. 3CR is part of that struggle, critiquing existing structures, amplifying new voices and visions, and we need your help to keep going. Already, we see the tremendous response of local communities supporting each other. It's been called a new kindness pandemic. But supporters of 3CR already know the transformative power of community action for a better world. So with your help, we're confident we can weather these hard times and continue to be Melbourne's radical, independent and community-owned broadcaster. So I know things are tough, but try to donate to the Station Appeal if you can. And it's, it's important that we try and keep it alive. So it's approximately 4.52. And one of the things that's important to note here... And I just wanted to bring your attention to something that Mariki was talking about at, um, towards the end of the interview in regards to the the age. Um, and the, the age newspaper talked a lot about, um, you know, the, the, the fact that the protesters were going to be spitting on police. I want to actually set the record straight there and... I, um, I actually listened to a lot of the coverage on, on 3CR and the, the protest was just wonderful. And in particular, the way that the elders talked about honouring the dead and and also that a lot of masks were given out, a lot of all the gloves were given out, sanitizers were ordered. And in fact, you know, the Warriors of Aboriginal Resistance did consult with all their community-controlled health health services and it was organised for 55,000 bottles of hand sanitizer and many thousands of gloves to be distributed to the staff on the day of the rally and other health groups and organisations also set up stations across the rally site and helped distribute um, sanitizer masks and gloves and it's important to note that the Aboriginal community is aware that the health of the community is always of the uttermost importance, and it's especially so in the time of pandemic. Because the Warriors of Aboriginal Resistance wrote a statement about this, and I'm just quoting bits and pieces from that. And just to explain that they see the autonomy of their community and their allies to ensure their own safety and adherence to COVID-19 protective regulations. I'm mentioning this because... It has been of grave concern to me as a radio broadcaster and also as a, as a human rights activist that I've had many, many phone calls of people terming the protests around Australia as a riot and also saying, oh, yes, but, you know, look at, look at this. You know, they're, they're going to cause the second wave of the pandemic. So I'm hoping that during this broadcast that not only... Um, that 
was I able to talk about deaths in custody, but I'm also hoping that I've made clear that these protests were safe and that, that it is important to be safe and that regulations were adhered to. It's approximately 4.56 and we've got a couple of minutes left of our show. Stay tuned every Monday from 4 to 5 for the Do and Time show and stay safe and strong. And pretty soon we're going to be going out with our theme song Black Fella, White Fella by the Rumpy Band. And a special cheerio um, also to Joe Miller who helped me organise um, Auntie Janelle. And Joe Miller is actually also a friend of Mile Creek Committee as well. So, yeah, with Beyond Zero up next, and we'll be going out very soon with um, Warumpi Band. Take care. and See you next week. Bye. True.